Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cult I Left Behind podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Briggs, and I'm here to tell you my stories of growing up in the IBLP cult, which you might know from the Duggar family. And I'm your other host, Kyle Briggs. I'm Amanda's husband, and I have not heard most of these stories before. So stay tuned, and we'll all get traumatized together. Welcome back to the next episode. What do we have tonight, Amanda? Whose idea was it to review shiny, happy people? That was mine. This is a terrible idea. (laughs) I know it's... I mean, not really, but also... Yeah, it was a good idea. And then when we started watching this show... I have to watch them. Yeah, I didn't realize how hard parts of it would be for you. Uh, And so uh, we have had to like space this out. We didn't just binge watch all four episodes because it was a little no so what we did was one saturday we were like let's just knock this out this was weeks ago right we're like we'll get ahead so we like watched an episode and recorded the our podcast episode immediately then we watched the next episode and we recorded our podcast episode immediately and then i was like well i need like four weeks in switzerland chocolate and wine (laughs) It's been a minute since we watched yeah. the last episode. So Yeah, so we watched episode three last night, mm-hmm. and after that we looked at each other and I was like, I'm not recording tonight. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll stick with that plan for the last episode. Yeah, we'll break that up too. So we get in so now we're on Shiny Happy People episode three. Authority, Kyle. Authority. Did I know. you learn a lot? Was it very educational uh, for you? No, <laughs> I I had authority is one of the things that like, I think we've talked about oh, a yeah. lot kind yeah. of outside of the podcast and, you know, in our relationship and I had heard a lot of this stuff, so mm-hmm. I wasn't super surprised uh, with anything in here. There was definitely some comical parts though. What? <laughs> yes. Well, okay. So the ex cult interviewees really brought their A game to this episode. Mm-hmm. They did a good job. They yeah. they had a lot of good one liners. So this this episode starts off with <laughs> a little recap or a little preview into uh, Jill and Jessa being on the. Oh yeah, Megyn it did. Kelly it show. recapped Megan Kelly because they talked about that in right. episode two. Yeah. yeah, and so they they kind of pick up there and jill says how how they went on the megan kelly show to protect Mm -hmm. the family they did it for the parents and the show that's why she did it yeah later she gets into that a little bit more about Mm -hmm. how didn't she say she's ashamed of that interview now um i feel like she might have said that but like strong word around it yeah i mean the fact that and i think we touched on this in the last episode or you know the last episode is these are girls Mm -hmm. Uh, or young women that have been sexually assaulted Mm -hmm. and then they have to go on national national television television to like protect those people or you know people that were aware of this or at least their brother Mm -hmm. um and their i feel like that's probably their brother and their dad they were really going to like cover for yeah Um, which is similar to my story like i kind of leave chris out of it too because i don't know maybe that was just the mindset i had growing up like chris she's a woman who cares you know Mm -hmm. it was and and with daughters we'll get to this later in the episode but there's this 
just significant emphasis in the cult on fathers and daughters and fathers owning the daughters and daughters having to honor the father, like with their purity, with their ministry, with like, and as we've talked about in other episodes with their hair (laughs) and making sure their hair is the way their father likes it. Like there's just a very creepy dynamic Mm -hmm. in the cult between fathers and their, their virgin daughters. Yeah. And that one of the next scenes right after that is, uh, Jill's husband kind of poking fun at the fact that he had to fill out a 45 page application to oh, even yeah. like court Jill. And I was listening to that and I'm like, is he being, <laughs> Oh, that was serious. It was like, is he being serious? Was it literally 45 pages, like a 45 page application? Is that, does that okay, sound so, like normal yes. length yeah. for? Well, okay. So the courtship commitment was outlined, written everything by the cult, mm-hmm. and you signed your name on it. The the father and the daughter, or the son and the father. But the fathers could then have what other whatever crazy requirements they wanted, and we're going to do a whole episode on on courtship. So I I don't want to give too many of the tidbits away. But yeah, that was not an uncommon practice to make a a young man fill out an application to court a daughter. Because you know she's she's property, Kyle. Yes. We really need to get this to sink in with you. You're you're being very resistant to these concepts. Like it's like a loan application. They're like, what assets do you have? How much are you worth? No, like guys literally would have to share their annual income, their debt. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a credit score involved. What's your net worth? Yes. This was normal, Kyle. So did your ex-husband have to fill out an application? No, because we were rebels and we didn't go through the normal phase, remember? I don't think we've got into that yet. Okay. Well, well, maybe in the courtship commitment episode, I will also describe how my relationship with my ex went down. And then you guys will probably understand why we got divorced eight and a half (laughs) years later. I also have a note here toward the beginning that we have that recap of the Megyn Kelly show, and then we have a recap of Jim Bob just talking about how the TV show is ministry, Mm. even though TV isn't allowed. So I feel like one thing that this docuseries does well is it reinforces the important points. Like they do kind of revisit different points in Mm. every episode to remind you of like what you need to take away at the end of it. Mm Mm-hmm. There was another scene right at the beginning where, and I don't know which which of the girls it was, but they're like, the girl is walking away with, I assume, their boyfriend. No, you don't have a boyfriend. The young man they were courting. Oh. Can't say boyfriend, girlfriend, Kyle. They, they, there literally wasn't a term for it. You were I just, forget what we called it. But uh, no, boyfriends and girlfriends, remember, Kyle, you can't be wrapped up in the boyfriend-girlfriend world. Oh, jeez. Yeah, but the young man she was courting, Derek, it was Jill. Okay. Yeah. And so they're walking away and then you see Jim Bob kind of like weasel his way so that he, he is, literally ends up pushed gets Jill. between the two of them yeah, so that he they could pushed not be Jill away. Yeah. I was just like god forbid they like well yeah. hold hands or something. I don't know. Some families allowed hugging and holding hands or like putting your arms around each other. Um some families allowed kissing. But you what? definitely I know. So they start getting into some of the legal paperwork here. Um, and conversations around uh, this five-year agreement that Jim Bob made 
everybody sign. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, it was just on the counter. You know, everybody kind of walked by and you just signed it as you went by. And and Jill said that they had to sign that on the day before their wedding or the Mm -hmm. week of their wedding. The day before their wedding. And they didn't even really, I guess they didn't read it Mm -hmm. is my interpretation of what happened. Um, which she did you know, not know what she was signing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anytime you sign your name on paperwork, you should probably read yeah, it. But, but you like, have to also remember that she was a young woman in a cult. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no one told her that. No yeah. one taught her that. She wasn't important enough to learn those things or okay. to be taught that those things. Because she was going to be a keeper at home, Kyle. Mm-hmm. And do keepers at home need to understand how legal contracts work? Kyle, no, they don't. <laughs> So that that didn't like I don't know what this tells you about my upbringing, but it did not phase me at all that she didn't know to read a contract mm-hmm. early before signing it. Yeah, I mean they're already getting controlled enough, but now mm-hmm. you're talking about like they don't even, they're not even aware of like legal contracts they're entering because they don't think they have any like autonomy agency. or agency yeah. over them for their own legal liability. They're just like, Correct. well, there's a my name's here and it says dad sign. said to sign it. Right. <laughs> I'm under authority. I'm going to sign it. Right. And then it came back and, and bit him in the butt later. Oh yeah. You know, they, they said they were down in, I forget South America somewhere. And yeah, they you know, were forced by contract to come back to the U S to mm-hmm. participate in something for Jill and Jessica counting yeah. on. And I have a note here that I forget who said it, I think it was one of the XIBLP commentators in the episode, but they they pointed out that signing contracts was so normal because you signed a contract about everything mm-hmm. <laughs> in the like you did. You signed your courtship commitment. You signed your commitment when you went to work at headquarters. You signed commitments as a student at Excel or Verity or Alert or whatever. Like you were constantly committing yourself through your signature to all of these crazy cult ideas. Mm -hmm. So yeah, in addition to like the actual legal contract with TLC, who knows how many contracts Jill had signed in her life about, you know, if she would or would not kiss someone before marriage. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, like contracts were just a very normal part of life in the cult. Right after the scene where they're talking about having to go back to the U S you know, they're down there doing mission work in South America, they kind of get steamrolled by the lawyers and their dad saying, Nope, you signed this contract. Like, you got to come back and finish filming this. They start getting into the births. Oh, and Jill's my like, God. I didn't want them in there. I didn't yes. want anything to do with that. We told them no. Yes. And she was like, That was like the first time I ever really said no. And I- then they s- still ended up doing it. Granted, it sounds like it was a little they pulled back a little bit and just gave them like handheld cameras and didn't have like the full film crew in there while they're delivering. Right. But they're comments still. So I have a note working through fucking labor to make show content. Right. That was insane. And I know, yeah, yeah, they gave them diary cams and stuff, but Mm -hmm. the way they, the way Jill worded it or Derek or one of them was like, yeah, labor was 60 hours and we were like working for most of it. Mm-hmm. Like she's in labor for God's sake. The last mm-hmm. thing she needs is to worry about making content. Right. And again, this is where I'm like, where was the outcry? Mm-hmm. Why why was America so interested in the salacious details of these young people's lives? 
But TLC should have respected Jill's choice. Like, shame on fucking TLC for forcing her to do that. That I'm very angry. Yeah. What are we drinking? <laughs> I've got a sidecar because I was running out of stuff downstairs. So uh <laughs> need to restock the uh, liquor cabinet. Well, I still can't drink alcohol because of the meds. So I have zero proof tequila. It's really good. Yeah. It's a, it's a non-alcoholic tequila called Ritual. It's a little uh, spicy. It's a little spicy. I think it's got I think it's got a jalapeno and some smoky flavoring. It's really good, whatever um, it is. I'm surprised I like it because normally I don't like spicy. I, I'm very surprised. I tried that the other day and I was like, this is this is a little hot. Um, <laughs> okay. There was a scene in there or they show like a, a flashback clip to one of Jill's sisters. It looks no, like her older sister. No, it's Josh's wife. That would be her older sister. Well, or, or sorry, yeah. Sister in law. Sister in law. Yeah. Um, and they're just like they've got the camera angle so that like the the vanity is just like covering most of her body and she's just like you can tell she's I mean, she's delivering a baby, she's struggling, she's you know, it's a very it's a very moment. vulnerable and yeah. sacred thing that I just can't imagine having a camera, camera should not be in your face while you're like, yeah, this is where like husbands get punched in the <laughs> right, face. Right. And <laughs> like, so I can't that's imagine how high tensions can run. <laughs> right. And so I can't imagine there being like some rando dude in there with a camera like in your the face. Loss of privacy too. Right. Like, yeah. geez. Uh, so I, I understand why Jill didn't want that. In and Jill there, specifically referenced that. Like she and Derek saw what happened. I'm, I'm blanking on Josh Duggar's wife's name right now, but they saw what happened to her and they were like, we do not want that breach of privacy with our child, with, with this birth. And of course, TLC, you know, had to serve the almighty dollar. Speaking of dollars, <sighs> they, they do mention, and I think it was one of the ex IBLP. Uh, I think it was one of the ladies that was on the show said that she had found out that Jim Bob was making like 850 K a season off I of forget. It. I know he's, he's worth millions. Yeah. So some, at some point they threw out like 850 K and I think that was per season. Oh my gosh. But none of the, none of the girls were getting any of that. None, like and, nobody well, none on the of show. the kids got paid. Yeah, none of the sh- and I've got a note show. here that after, after, they had to terminate 19 kids and counting because of Josh mm-hmm. and they moved forward with Jill and Jessica count, uh, counting on. They were literally the breadwinners for this whole huge family system carrying the back, um, carrying like this whole weight of providing for the family on the backs of these girls uh, abuse and labor, like literal labor mm-hmm. having children. And, oh, but yeah. yeah, Jill says she never saw, a dime from that because mm-hmm. uh, because of the payout requiring signing another contract. So I think we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, she didn't get paid for that. She had to film her own labor and birth and she didn't get paid for it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy that all of that money was just going to Jim Bob and it's just insane. And I, I have a note here that the kids not getting paid reminds me of Rick claiming me as a dependent, even when he wasn't providing anything for me so that I didn't get a tax return and couldn't afford food and water. Mm-hmm. And that, like, I don't know if he did that to my other siblings too, but just the entitlement, like in the cult, you owned your kids, you owned them. And 
I think the documentary even talked about Jill had to be on food stamps because she couldn't afford food for her family. Even though she was doing all of this work on the show, she and Derek were using like um, food stamps food, uh, or they well, were going they to a food, food bank, bank or something like that. Yeah. And it just, yeah. yeah. So their dad's getting 850 K a season, which is, I would assume a, a year or, you know, part something of a like year. That. Yeah. Plenty of money, yeah, plenty of money, even for 19 kids. Yeah. Even for 19 mouse, like, that's a that's a lot of money, mm-hmm. and they're literally going to the food bank in town so they because their get dad food. won't pay them mm-hmm. for their work, right? So they roll into um, the camps or the different <laughs> facilities, and yeah. how long these kids were being sent away to these facilities, like for weeks mo- to months mm-hmm. to years, is what they said. Mm-hmm. Excel for young women and alert for young men. I think those were a couple months. Like I think mm-hmm. alert was comparable to going off to military basic training in terms of the length. It was timeline. And Excel, I want to say was at least, I feel like eight weeks, but I don't remember. And then there were other things you could do like Verity College. I don't, I, <laughs> I think Andy, the rapist brother, was there helping set that one up. And I forget how long of a commitment that was, but it was I don't think it was four years because you couldn't be away from ministry that long, Kyle. But when you went to headquarters, it was a year-long commitment. And mm-hmm. I don't know if there were other things, other places you went where it was a two-year commitment. But yeah, it wasn't a week in the summer. Like this was anytime you signed up for something with the cult, it was a pretty significant time commitment. Was that part of your homeschooling curriculum at that time? Because it definitely sounded like, and they did confirm later that like these kids are getting picked up. I think one later in the episode, this lady says like, as soon as she turned 14, Bill was like, you're coming, you know? Well, I think that was to go to headquarters. Right. But at that point you should still be in In school. school. Yeah. And so do they, do they count like going and working at headquarters as like schooling? I think that you were supposed to like, continue documented and like portfolio it or something. <laughs> I don't fully remember how that worked or maybe you did some schooling, mm-hmm. you know, on your own or after hours. I don't remember about alert or Excel. I think you had to be a certain age to go to them. We should do an episode on alert and Excel at some yeah, point because I think, think excel you could go younger mm. because you you had to be ready for marriage kyle oh. <laughs> you know whereas alert i think you could it might have started a little older because it was about like being a man and being cult militia so mm. maybe you had to be 18 17 18 for that but we'll look into that and do an episode on it those was, programs it was funny watching you watch the alert scenes and they're marching around so and you're bad. cringing. I just started watching you. And you were just like cringing so hard because I mean, obviously being in the military, I'm sure you guys had that down. It was, it was it funnier was really to watch bad. you than to watch the show. Oh, at that and point. then it cuts to, to Bill in his uniform with his American flag patch on his arm. And I wanted to punch the screen. Don't <laughs> desecrate my nation's flag. Fucktard. Yeah. Uh, so they, so they did say that like these camps or these facilities, wherever, I think one of the ladies said that like 
you were doing like 14 to 16 hours of labor a day. Or oh, yeah. Even when they go to these conferences and they got to set up these conferences like My for 14 to 16 notes. hours a day. Like that's a lot yes. for a teenager. Like that's a. The two conferences that I helped run at the Colts Center in the Northwoods. My day started at 6 a.m. And I usually wasn't done with work until 10 or 11 p.m. And I was 13. That's a long day. Yeah. So they, they mentioned some of these facilities. And mm-hmm. it looks like they were broken up by, like, they had a specialty or a specialization. You know, like, this was the Alert Campus. This mm-hmm. was Excel. They had another one called Commit. Oh. Well, that, like, we've, so we've talked about Alert. That's the paramilitary thing. Excel is... Finishing school for young ladies. So what's commit? I don't remember right now. And there was now. another one called like Verity. Verity. Yeah. So I think we should do an episode on all of the different programs. Because mm-hmm. with, with Verity, I am pretty sure Andy, the rapist brother, was part of Verity. I think maybe even part of the initial wave of people who set it up or he was part of the initial wave of um, pseudo college students, or I don't remember what, but he got sent home. I didn't remember this until last night watching the episode. He got sent home from that facility because he did something inappropriate with a female staffer or student or whatever he was. And I don't remember what it was. It might've been like, I think it involved like a massage or something. Oh, geez. Yeah. I don't know if he did more than that, but he got sent home. So when we say like a lot of these stories I haven't heard, like she didn't even tell me that when we were watching this last night. So I didn't even know. <laughs> I save a lot of it for shock value for Kyle. It, and someday I mean, I'll works, like but... splice together all of your reactions. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's, that's really bad. Like in the cult, if yeah. you got sent home oh, from yeah. something. Oh like, yeah. That's like the, the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. yeah disgrace the that. family name. And oh got sent yeah. Home. Yeah. But you know, like. Still didn't matter. No, because he was the oldest male. Yeah. <laughs> he already committed some atrocities at that point and what's getting sent home from the campus. So another one of the ladies mentions that while she was at one of these facilities that she would get locked in the prayer room. Oh, yeah. And she said she was in there for four days, I think, if I remember correctly. I don't and remember they just that it lock, was days. The, the concept existed of the prayer room mm-hmm. where... They're essentially locking these kids in there with a Bible and I assume mm-hmm. bringing them food. Or not. Or not. Depending on which campus. I always like make these assumptions like, well, like if you're going to lock a kid in a room and like try to teach them, like you just need to read the Bible. Like you're just going to bring them food every, you know, three times a day. And then you're like, no. And I'm like, oh, geez. No, because remember when we talked about, oh, I don't remember which episode it was, but I told you about like the horrific stories that came out of the orphan ministry in Russia and mm-hmm. stuff like that. This this concept of prayer rooms and being locked in it, that wasn't just at Excel. Like that was happening in the orphanage ministry in Russia. So as these well. weren't even like actual cult kids. They were just going. The, they, they were, were just like poor orphans who had the misfortune of being somewhere that IBLP infiltrated. Wow. I can't like, can't imagine being an orphan. You're like, Oh, like I'm going to get to go to this like church thing over these nice people over here and they're going to take care of me. And then you get in there like this poor orphan, like walks in the door and then like a prayer room. Yeah. Like, you know what? We're just not going to feed you. And we're going to lock you in here with the, the word of God. And like, (laughs) 
How you should really love Jesus. He's great. We're going to starve you till you agree. One of the ex-IBLP commentators in this episode said world domination was the goal. Yeah. Like, that's true. World domination was the goal. And orphanages in Russia was one way to break into Russia. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like we can talk forever about that specific thing. Um, the One of the following scenes is uh, one of the ex-IBLP ladies saying that she got in trouble for losing her virginity to tampons. <laughs> It was funny that she was calling them devil sticks. <laughs> I like her. She's hilarious. She was funny. There's I a, told you they brought their A game yeah, to this episode. A lot of the, the ex IBLP people that were on there were very sarcastic. You know what that is, right? That's oh, like the, coping mechanisms. Yeah, that's yeah, like but, the dark humor you see in the military yeah. and law enforcement. It's like, well, this is really traumatic. Let's laugh at it. Yeah. <laughs> that's normal, right? I mean, I do that, so. <laughs> I mean, I do it constantly too. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's just that's just trauma as humor. Mm-hmm. They did a really good job with it. It's just crazy that <laughs> they would even say that to uh-huh. a young girl. Like, so okay, I I had a I didn't get a sex talk. I got a very awkward. This is what it's like to be a girl. Talk about periods, and I started thinking when she started talking about devil sticks, like. I don't think we ever even had tampons in the house. Well, it sounds like it was a forbidden thing. Or like I, I don't remember if I was told they were let bad. Your daughters all lose their virginity to tampons. You know what? We must not have. Uh, well, I didn't know about them for a long time, and I'm wondering if that was because I didn't like seek it out. I don't know if my sisters were allowed to use them, and and I just wasn't interested because I was sexually traumatized from. All the other yeah, stuff. I mean, that's not, but that's the last thing what I remember do. is that we would go to my my maternal grandparents would rent a beach house every summer. And if I think if any of us girls had our periods, it was just like game over. Tampons are the only option mm-hmm. currently that I know of for like having a period and being in the water. Mm-hmm. So maybe my other sisters didn't have them either. That's what I'm guessing because, yeah, if if any of us had our period, when we were at the beach house, you just didn't – you just stayed on the sidelines and, you know, watched everyone else play in the water and have fun. I still think it's just so crazy that they viewed putting a tampon in there as like taking your virginity. So that's off the table. You cannot use those. They're devil sticks. Like even if there's a functional use for this, <laughs> like – just no. Oh, oh. And then we were told that um toxic shock syndrome. I yeah, think that's what, what that? it is. I well, if you leave a tampon in too long, it can be really, really dangerous. And I think when I eventually did find out about tampons, I think that was like God's punishment for using them. <laughs> what? I think that's what we were told. Yeah, like that's they were dangerous. And the toxic shock syndrome thing is like the curse for sinning. Like it can actually be fatal. Hmm. So that was God's curse okay. on you Another for using thing a double stick. Twisting yeah. medical science I think so. And, uh, okay. Uh, so one of the guys mentions that he makes a statement that shame was a tool to keep them in line. Mm-hmm. And it's just another manipulation tactic, but it, and it's true. Like when you see 
all the stuff that's happening in there and you hear, you know, if you listen to this podcast and you hear all these stories, it's just like everything is shame based or just straight slavery, essentially, (laughs) of like your children Mm -hmm. and you're just taking full control of them. You give them no autonomy for Mm -hmm. anything and you dictate everything about their life, Mm -hmm. including making them sign contracts about doing what you want them to do. Yes. And then on top of all of that, they're like, you know what? This cake needs some shame, a thick layer of shame on top of the cake here of mm-hmm. all this manipulation. So, it, you know, I just realized this is so good for you, Kyle, because as we think about starting a family, isn't it just so cool that you're getting all of this valuable training on how to raise really, you know, traumatized, abused, <laughs> fucked up kids. <laughs> So if that was my goal, I would have all the information I needed after learning about all of this cult stuff. Uh, we do say that Amanda would run the world's greatest cult if she had any interest. In well, yeah, and and my militia would know how to march. <laughs> That's true. Thank you very much. So we skip over to this scene, and I I think the guy's a pastor or, or a, a preacher, and he mentions how much money is going into the cult and what is actually at these facilities. Mm -hmm. They've got gold plated hallways. (laughs) I don't know if that's real. Like Um, was there really that lavish of of stuff in the buildings? It was was a very lush, lavish setting. Usually like Mm -hmm. velvet sofas and red carpet and wood paneling and, Mm big expensive art and the facility in Flint, Michigan had in the lobby, like it had a fountain with a koi pond and the interiors of all the buildings were like very lush. And they mentioned planes. Like there was, yep. They, I think they had two jets and we had mentioned this in, I think the first episode of the podcast or maybe the second um, where Steve had got banished up to the Northwoods. Mm-hmm. And didn't you say there was a runway? Yep. There? They had a runway and a yeah. hangar at the Northwoods Conference Center. Still do. Was that normal for them to just have runways at these facilities so that I assume Bill could just fly around and like go directly from site to site to That's site? That's the only one I personally recall having a runway. Because like the, the Flint facility, it was like, if I recall, like in the middle of downtown, same with okay. Indianapolis. I don't know if Big Sandy might have had a runway because mm-hmm. that one where that's where Alert eventually got moved. It got moved from the Northwoods to Big Sandy because of the acreage. It was such an expansive campus there. So they might have had they might have a runway too. that's now uh, Big Sandy is now the headquarters of IBLP. So I don't know, maybe. I think later in the episode, they say that all of the IBLP assets were valued at $90 million. Yeah, I have that written down somewhere. I'm sure we'll get to it. Because uh, I, I, I wrote that down too. I was like, that's a ton of yeah. You money. know how much like actual good you could do for the world with 90 million bucks? Yeah. Just throwing that out there, IBLP. Mm. The next thing they touch on is how involved the cult is in... Uh, the political arena. Didn't they say that they used, because I, I don't remember this. It sort of rings a bell, but didn't they say they would use the basic seminars to um, pass out information on political candidates Bill wanted to push? And it was like Mike Huckabee and Sarah Palin mm-hmm. and, and people like that. 
yeah, they did say in the documentary he would use those venues to hand out pamphlets and push political mm-hmm. candidates yeah. that he endorsed. World domination. World domination with a militia that can't march for shit. I think when you look at it that way and you see, okay, so this is a cult. They've got a paramilitary thing. Mm-hmm. They're heavily involved with politics. Mm-hmm. Like it really does seem like Bill's goal or dream there was like, I am going to take over the government or <laughs> one of my minions is and then, right. but they're under my authority. Yeah. So. Where they were going to like subvert the government and mm-hmm. then take it over by like placing these people in positions of power around it so that mm-hmm. they could do that. At some point in, in the episode, they start talking about where the curriculum actually lands and that some of the curriculum ends up in like public schools or some public schools got into the military law enforcement law enforcement they were getting people involved in the cult in different different sectors of the government and trying to get the curriculum in there and like and start they, brainwashing those people they had i think was that character first they had this idea of taking over city by city as character cities and we should probably do an episode on character cities i have not heard that one yet um I think that's what they were called, but we'll we'll look it up and we'll maybe do an episode on that. But yeah, it was like they would try to get, I think, the mayors on board to like push IBLP ideology throughout every facet of that community so that they could become like a character community. I think one of the next scenes that comes up, they show the contract. Um, and I think this is probably where they were talking about um, – Jill having to come back from South America. Mm-hmm. Um, but I paused it and was looking at the contract. It was just a, it was only like one paragraph of it. I couldn't see the whole thing, um, mm-hmm. but I noticed it was, co- it was between TLC, M- TLC, mad family, something productions or something like that. And then like all the Duggars. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was trying to figure out what that was. Yeah. Um, but Michelle, her name is Michelle Annette Duggar, if I remember correctly. Yes, you looked it up. Uh, and so I'm assuming that's what Mad Family Productions is or whatever it was called. Mad Family something. It was interesting that that would be under her well, name. Well, because then it's a small business, well, a woman-owned business. That's what I was curious about. It was like, that doesn't track with anything in the cult that right. there's something in the woman's name. And I don't know, maybe that was just Jim Bob you know, creating a company and naming it after his wife, that makes the most sense in this. Well, he's a, he's just in it for money. Well, that's what I'm he's curious savvy. about. So, so the second I found out there that Mad was also Michelle's initials, I immediately jumped to, oh, okay, so Jim Bob made it a woman-owned company, but he obviously controlled everything. Yeah. I don't know. We, I, I mean, it's all speculation, public, but uh, yeah, we hadn't, I hadn't yeah. looked that up, but I was, it was just seemed very out of place for a woman to actually make money, Kyle, or to own a business <laughs> or to own a business or I to guess do anything most, with her life other yeah. than get pregnant and push out babies. So this is also kind of the same part of the episode. I think where Jill and Derek talk about pushing back Yep. Um, with Jim Bob regarding payment. Mm-hmm. And so Jim Bob says, well, some of the boys are getting older and they want to start businesses. And and so 
So Jim Bob becomes willing to pay the older children, and it just was so typical and really pissed me off that, oh, the sons need cash now, so you're going to start paying people because <laughs> yeah. your boys need money. Forget the fact that, like, the women have literally been pushing babies out mm. on television, but the boys need some money now. I'm They're sure that getting was... getting older. I'm sure that was very specific. Like, he yes. probably only did pay the male children and not... Well, we don't know, but the, I mean, what, just, what that started it, the, the thing that, so Jill tries to get paid and he's mm. like, no, but Derek, her, her husband, her head mm. starts negotiating with Jim Bob and he's like, oh, I'll pay you $10 an hour. And then decides that there'll be a payout because the boys need money. But in order to get the payout, you have to sign on for another, what, five-year contract or something? So I'm sure there was plenty of strings attached to that yeah. contract. Yeah. So just so Derek, the misogyny. So, so yeah, so Derek's trying to get some money from Jim Bob. And then if I remember correctly, he starts getting threatening letters. Texts. texts. Anonymous texts. Yeah, saying, he picked you. Jim Bob picked you. Oh, yeah. I wrote it down here. So one of the texts told Derek that Jim Bob picked him for Jill and called Jill a beautiful, untouched virgin. And that Jim Bob had done Derek no evil, but Derek was committing great evil against Jim Bob. Okay, can we just pause? <laughs> I knew a that was beautiful, like... untouched virgin? Well, it depends on if she used tampons or not. Well, true. <laughs> But, like, who the fuck says that in this day and age? Like, this sounds like, like, mm -hmm. Dark Ages shit. Oh, my God. Did they say that about their own children? Like, was that normal speak for for the dads to say that, like, reference their daughters as, like, virgins? I don't think so. Okay. I don't That's know, That's super though. creepy. It's like, so creepy. Like I well, said, I mean, the they dynamic. Own, they own their children. Yes. And, like... You know, you got to have a contract or, you know, a transfer of authority, you know, when they get married. So I'm sure they were heavily involved in their child's sex life. Or yes, they were. Of. Yeah. Okay. So then the the creepy texts to Derek also reminded him, and I had forgotten about this, how the Bible prescribes the death penalty for disobedience. Mm-hmm. I think it's in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm sure but I had be. forgotten that that was something that we were taught as kids, that disobedience was so bad, it was prescribed the death penalty. I love Old Testament. <sighs> yeah. And and Jill points out that there was absolutely no distinction between honor, respect, and obey. And I mm -hmm. think I touched on that in my story series that we completed before the Shiny Happy People series we're in now, just that I was, I was an adult before someone explained to me that there's a difference between honor, respect, and obey. And then another commentator talked about how that obedience thing didn't just stop with parents. If parents weren't around, it was the oldest male. So the preacher guy comes back around and hopefully he's actually a preacher and I don't just call it, keep calling him that, uh, but I'm pretty sure um, either way. So he makes a comment about unchecked power dynamics leading to abuse and how rampant that was within the cult. Yes. And I thought that was a very good way or very eye opening 
statement about what's actually happening in there because it's so true that there's, you got this hierarchy of males Mm -hmm. that are just like controlling their families, going all the way up to Bill controlling the families. At no point in that chain of command, like whether your family unit up to Bill, at no point in there was anybody going to like challenge what was actually happening. Mm-hmm. And his, uh, Bill's victims talk about that too, how, you know, he had already pushed their boundaries in so many mm-hmm. ways that when he got around to sexually assaulting them, they were already groomed and trained. Right. Yeah. Or that like he would call their dad and then he would like manipulate their dad mm-hmm. and then do whatever to the girl mm-hmm. and then send her back home. And she's like broke in. It's just it's yeah. crazy. There's just like literally no checks and balances in this organization at all. Correct. And I assume that's probably typical for a cult. Mm-hmm. Like the, the person at the top is the ultimate authority and you can't challenge that. You can't talk against it. You can't contradict it at all. Mm-hmm. So I assume any organization, you know, even non-cult organizations, and, and this could be even businesses, like where there's no checks there. There's no checks and balances. I mean, that's you're just gonna, dangerous. Yeah, you're just <laughs> going to be dangerous, and there's going to be abuse of some sort or yes. another in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, Power and control breeds abuse. Which I know is something you like do professionally is like talk on this stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it's crazy to see the correlation there. Where if you have no checks and balances in there, like you're going to end up with a very abusive culture. Yes, absolutely. So we get to another scene. Um, I think it's where they start talking about Steve's trouble with the law popping up <laughs> um, and then Bill sending him off to the North Woods um, because there was less oversight there. Mm-hmm. So we already got an organization with no oversight and no checks and balances. And so well, Bill's and brother we- gets in trouble and he's just like, we're going to send you to the place where we have nobody that's going to watch you and nobody that's going to like care about what's happening out there. There's nobody there to tell you no. Yeah. And that's the best place for you, brother. And that's, I mean, we talked about that in depth in episode two of our podcast and yeah, there wasn't anyone there in the North woods where Bill sent Steve that outranked him. Yeah. And, and it came up in this episode too, that Bill would funnel young women out to Steve if they diso so if if a girl and I'm I'm using the term girl very intentionally because we're talking about people under the age of eighteen being in, like part of this abuse cycle, girls who disobeyed Bill were sent to Steve in the North Woods, mm-hmm. and we've we've already talked about that. If you haven't listened to our episode two yet, go back and take a listen. We get into all of the details around that. So as part of this scene, they talk about Matthew 18, I believe, right? <laughs> yeah, which we've touched on, haven't we? I don't know. We've... I think we have. But it, that's the whole, if there's a problem, you confront them privately, and then you bring a group, and then mm-hmm. or a witness, and then you do like a public shaming. The purpose there for inside the cult was to like prevent any sort of gossip, which, yes. I mean, gossip's not a good thing anyway, so... I don't, but I don't, I don't know. know if it was gossip as much as people spreading the word well, that right. Bill was a fucked up perv. And Bill didn't like that. And that's when the Matthew 18 teaching got rolled out. Right. And that's what the lady was saying is that, you know, they spun the Matthew 18 thing into not having gossip, which then rolled down into, well, 
the women just can't speak up about anything. Mm -hmm. So that was the ultimate goal there was, okay, let's twist Matthew 18 so that these women never say what's happening to them because Mm -hmm. we're doing all these bad things. And you can only give a good report. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just, it's crazy the amount of twisting of words um, Mm -hmm. that's happening here of the Bible. There's a twisting of the words of the Bible to do these horrible things. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, we're going to use the Bible so that the young women we're raping aren't going to say anything. Mm-hmm. It's insanity. Mm-hmm. So we go into another scene where they're talking about, I think one of the ladies, uh, the XIBLP ladies, says there was the journey to the heart <laughs> camp. Yep. Do you know anything about that? No, I I vaguely remember hearing about it. I never went, but yeah, this is the one where uh, Bill vetted future victims mm-hmm. through his mandatory one-on-one sessions with him. Every person who went had to have one. Yeah. And that's just, that's the thing about sending your kids to these yep. camps for weeks or months or longer. However long it took. That there's some creepy old dude there that's just like grooming children so that he can do whatever. Manipulate their parents into sending them to headquarters on a year long contract uh, so that he can start assaulting them. Yeah. So he's got easy access to them. Mm -hmm. Journey to the Heart sounds so familiar to me. Well, it sounds like a Hallmark movie. Well, (laughs) I'm not the Hallmark movie buff here, Uh, but I feel like I heard that in church growing up. What? It just, you could have been in IBLP with me, Kyle. No, I, I, I <laughs> and I, I don't remember. It's been so long since like my youth group days, but I feel like I've heard this camp before, and I feel like it was only for the girls to go to. Really? That's what came to mind when I heard that. Like that was my like flashback, and I don't know if that's real or not. All um, right. Well, we'll put that on the list of programs we need to research. <laughs> we'll dive and into and see. On. Maybe I can ask some of my friends that I went to church with and see if like if, if you, I'm crazy or if they remember hearing about and that. And this one. is also like here's an idea I'm having in real time is if you attended like Verity, Alert, Excel, Journey to the Heart, any of these programs offered within IBLP or ATI, please reach out to us on, you know, our website or social media. If you want to be a guest on the podcast to talk about your experiences in these programs, I think that would be so cool is if, if yeah. we could interview people who actually went through those no, programs. Definitely. Like you've got plenty of insight into character this, qualities. Well, I mean the stuff you, you've, you've been involved yeah, in. Yeah, but like, I never went to those programs because like I put my you foot down. You went to headquarters. I mean, yeah. Granted, you weren't there for a long time, but like you've been there, you've seen that you went to the Northwoods. You, yeah. you know what it looks like. You can describe it, but there's all these other facilities and camps Yeah, I never and went stuff to the one in Indianapolis that, that I remember and I've never been to Big Sandy and right. yeah, I never went to. So it'd be cool to get somebody that's some like, programs. or, you know, talk to somebody that's been, to some of these other facilities and had different experiences with it and, yeah. and hear, hear what they saw mm-hmm. and what they heard while they were at these places. So yeah. definitely. Yeah. So <laughs> the next comment, this is probably my favorite person on the show is Jim Bob's niece's husband. Yes. His reactions are very much like mine whenever he <laughs> hears this stuff. And he goes on this tangent about how, and he's just laughing. He's just like, so let me get this straight. Bill Gothard never married. He never <laughs> had any children. And his whole plan is repopulate, repopulate. 
Oh yeah, the the War, next generation yeah, for Christ. Next generation for Christ and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And he's just like, let mm-hmm. me get this straight. The dude who has never married and has no kids has this great plan to repopulate the cult mm-hmm. with the next generation of. Mm-hmm. I also found that funny that this dude is not. He's yeah. not living at all what he's talking about. He's got this grandiose plan. That involves procreation. So he should have nineteen kids, right? You would think. You would yeah. think that, well, like, no, he needed to have like his his little harem of children, you know, to assault. So one of the other ladies comes into the next scene, and she's talking about how she was at, I think, headquarters, and Bill starts asking her all these inappropriate questions mm-hmm. about her sex life, or yep, I if she had done this. anything. Mm-hmm. Um, he starts asking her all these questions and she's answering them, obviously, mm-hmm. because that's what you do. That's what you do. Um, even though she knows like, this is a little weird. And then he's like, Oh, well we got to get down on our knees and pray. And then she's like, Oh, getting down on your knees and pray. Like this is serious. We're, mm-hmm. we're doing some serious prayer here now. Mm-hmm. So they get down or she gets down on her knees and prays. And then he starts rubbing her hand. And, mm-hmm. and again, Here's Bill breaking the rules. He broke the mm-hmm. six inch rule. He's like literally rubbing her hand while mm-hmm. they're praying. Well, I have a note about the first part of this story. So um, she specifically says, Bill asked her, are you a virgin? Mm-hmm. Okay. That is sexual harassment in the workplace. She was in the workplace at headquarters where she right. was employed. Right. And And the funny thing is when I was like – 18 or 19 years old, one of my summer jobs during college, one of my colleagues asked me that question, like point blank, are you a virgin? And my programming was to answer honestly, which was yes. I always said yes, because the sexual assault was not consensual. Mm -hmm. So to me, I was a virgin. I think I ended up reporting it to HR. I can't remember how I handled that, but the knee-jerk reaction when asked these very inappropriate questions was to answer them truthfully. So Bill asks her, are you a virgin? She says, yes. Like, that is sexual harassment in the workplace. Like, mm-hmm. that is so inappropriate. Yeah, like, there, there was no HR at headquarters. No. There was no one you could go <laughs> or be if like, there was, they were going to do whatever Bill said anyways. Yeah, like, oh, gosh. Just my heart goes out. That's... Horrible situation to be put in. And again, this, I think this is where they said or reiterated the fact that like they couldn't speak up. Mm -hmm. So she's in this situation. He's being inappropriate, asking her inappropriate questions, touching her inappropriately. And Mm -hmm. there's literally nothing she can do. Mm -hmm. Even if she went and told some dude that was working there, like he's not going to say anything. Like he's in on the whole. Or just didn't or have possibly. the maturity or, or know what to do. Like if, if you told another staff or like yeah. a peer, if you went and told one of, you know, at, well, I think by this point, Bill had already kicked out everyone who knew the truth about him and opposed him. And yeah. he had his board of like really supportive people. And, you know, there, I, it's so weird. We kept pausing as we watched this and I'd point at the screen and be like, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. I know them. They had dinner at my house a million times. Like the men towed party line. They were not yeah. like the men in high in positions of power mm-hmm. 
you couldn't go to them and be like, I have concerns about Mr. Gothard. They tell Mr. Gothard and also they call you, you know, a liar or whatever. Like there was no safety anywhere. No, it's like the mafia. You rat, <laughs> on, you rat on the boss and you're in the ground the next day. I mean, basically. But yeah, I mean, when you're saying like they, they towed party lines and if you go back to the previous episodes of the docuseries where like the dude's like creepily spanking this kid up on the stage. Like yeah. nobody said anything. And no like, one, no if one you go tell those same it. people, you know, well, he's touching me inappropriately. Like those same people just laughed let, at you getting sexually assaulted yeah, on stage. Just, yeah. Laughed at that kid getting his butt rubbed on, on stage in front of everybody. Yeah. Like if that was at, um, the Knoxville conference, that's like, you know, 10,000 people complicit in that. Yeah situation and then even on top of that she mentions how you got this stack of spirit soul and then body Mm -hmm. with body being like the least important thing and spirit being the highest yeah and that when your body is assaulted or damaged or whatever it it increases your your, well it increases your spirit it's an opportunity to increase yes your holiness or however she put it yeah um so it's like if those are the people you're going to go report to and that's what they believe, like, oh, well, you got raped. That's an opportunity. And one of the other ladies said that. She was like, I had wish I had been raped so that I had this testimony or mm-hmm. had this opportunity to grow spiritually from that. I had it. Yeah, I have it written down. Physical damage equals spiritual power. That's it. And yeah. Bill quotes this. This is a principle in scripture. <laughs> Well, that's a quote from Bill, a principle in scripture. And again, this is just the stuff he pulled out of his ass. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yes, we were taught that like being harmed in a physical way to our physical body resulted in more spiritual power. It's amazing. Really fucking spiritually powerful, Kyle. (laughs) It's amazing (laughs) how they twist all of this stuff. Like, yep. It literally seems like they just read everything and then completely interpreted it into the most harmful way to interpret it. And we're like, this is what we're going to do. Well, one of the interviewees called it the playbook of a powerful narcissist. And I thought that was a really good (laughs) turn of phrase. That's Bill. His teachings were the playbook of a powerful narcissist. Mm -hmm. He's delusional. So so I think it's the same lady that Bill made kneel down and was rubbing her hand while they prayed. I think... She went on to say that, like, she had got on the Recovering Grace website and, like, put her story up there. Yes. And then Bill got on there and was like, he called her every day, multiple times a day. And then she had, like, multiple or at least an hour long phone call with him, which in of itself is telling that, like, she got the guts to, like, go write her story on the internet. Yeah. He calls her. How he got her phone number is. Well, she worked for him. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so he calls her and she answers. And then she talks to him for an hour. Like, that's the level of manipulation that was in there. Like, she had already kind of tried to tell her story and get, and let the cat out of the bag. Mm-hmm. And she still couldn't say no to him. And she talked to him for an hour or hours. Well, about- that, I mean, that was just how it was in the cult. If you spoke up about the abuser, the abuser mm-hmm. was like, you know, at your throat. Like, okay, remember in my story we talk about I start speaking up and then suddenly Andy has to come spend a weekend with me in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like, and and you just go with it because 
that's all you know to do in that environment is like you have to placate, you have to do your your little part to pacify the abuser. Like it it probably didn't even occur to her like, "Oh, I can hang up." Right. You because yeah. you have no agency. You don't mm-hmm. know you can hang up. You don't know you can have a boundary. You don't know that if someone calls you several times a day to yell at you, you don't have to answer the phone or you can pick it up, say, fuck off and hang up. Like you don't know you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane that that's how deep that brainwashing and the manipulation is, is even for somebody that's willing to speak up about it. Mm -hmm. Like she had got the guts to say something and publicly say something Mm-hmm. online and she still hadn't created that boundary yet mm-hmm. and she still didn't have that confidence or that like yeah that ability to create a boundary and say like hey you know i i've turned a page here and this was wrong and i'm gonna talk about it and when he calls like i'm not gonna answer I think for most of us who escaped, it was a very messy process of sure, it sounds like a long process yes because it's not like okay I wake up and today I'm going to share my story and I'm not going to answer the phone if abusers call and mm-hmm. I'm going to have boundaries. It's it, I think for a lot of us, it was like a brave step to speak up and then like figure out all the logistics of being an adult, of having yeah. boundaries on the back end and, and like painfully and slowly, I think for a lot of us. So it, it's a very messy process to leave these things because you don't have a rule book. Like for the first time in your life, you don't have a rule book because there is no rule book for how to not be part of it, not be part of the cult, you know? So I am super proud of her for that. And um, I'm super proud of her for appearing on the documentary with her real name, allowing Mm -hmm. them to, you know, take video footage of her, like, yeah. Badass. Go girl. And she she did cry at parts of it. So you know she's still she's still processing. She's still processing it. that. But she, still she still showed up. She still showed up. She, exactly. Yeah. Like she it was hard for her and she still did it. Yeah. So kudos to her. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was just so interesting that like so now you've got recoveringgrace.org, right? Dot mm-hmm. org shows up on the internet. Mm-hmm. They're like, here's all the bad <laughs> shit about IBLP. And Bill Gothard's stuck in the forums. Like, what are people <laughs> saying about me on here? And then he's calling these people. Like, yes. so what if the control called, freak that you're like, uh, oh, there's a website talking shit about me. I'm going to be a troll on it. And, and since I have these people's numbers, yeah. I'm going to call them. I wonder how many other people he called. Oh, gee, I, I can imagine he probably called. I, Anyone like, he someone could. Like, <laughs> yes, somebody like him. I think he probably called every single person he saw write an article, make a comment, anything. He probably, to me, he seems like the type of person, like that level of control. You don't let anybody say anything about you without reacting to it. Yeah. So I have a note here. I need to clarify something I said in an earlier podcast because I confused it. So recovering grace... I really like them and they have done tons of research and we talk about them a lot on this podcast, but I, I, in one of our episodes, I forget which one confused them with grace, the godly response to abuse in Christian environments. Grace is the one that has all the lawyers 
and they wrote the article that helped like turn my life around. And that's why I reported my brother. Recovering Grace is specifically ex-IBLP stuff. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I needed to clarify that because Recovering Grace is not all of the lawyers. That's Grace. Okay. Moving on. So we get into another scene where Bill's falling apart or he's losing control. Yes. (laughs) And then he gets escorted out of this conference by alert. alert. I was like, this is hilarious. His own, his own own militia, his own militia is having to escort him out of the building. And so was that, was that the board making that call? Yeah. So they did have like, it wasn't just Bill running rampant with this stuff. Like it seems like the board had some level of oversight there. If they finally were like, you right. have to resign. You like gotta they resign. forced his resignation. Yeah. They wouldn't allow him back in the facilities. But like the documentary points out, and like I have my notes with huge underlines, the the board and IBLP and ATI continued using all his teachings even <laughs> after they kicked him out and found out he was an abusing rapist. Well, throwing but- my pen again. I get very angry. That's just separate from him, though. Like all the other stuff is gold. No. (laughs) And that's the thing that I just like, oh, and I want people who, like, you probably wouldn't listen to this if you're part of the cult because I say fuck a lot and, like, you'll go to hell if you hear me say that and I'll go to hell for saying it. It's fine. Um, But anyone who is still wrapped up in that lifestyle, like, you need to understand that he has zero credibility and that means all of his work like everything that the man developed and touched should have been thrown away with him mm-hmm. and they like if if IBLP wanted to persist they should have started over they needed to start from scratch like should different basic principles <laughs> what it should have burned it with the cabbage patch dolls <laughs> exactly thank you see uh so, so that's as, very frustrating to me that they just continued on with everything, yeah. even though they know, knew like he is corrupt and mm-hmm. he was the person that God talked to, right? Yeah. So so if God is talking to him and then all of these hidden truths, all of these principles that are cherry-picked and twisted, not even biblical concepts, they should have had the discernment to recognize we can't use any of this because – God ain't talking to this dude. Like, <laughs> this dude's a fucking rapist. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you know, they have the phrase, like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You do in the case <laughs> of Bill In this Gothard. case, you do. You're like, <laughs> all of it needs to go. And so Ceremonial burning in the driveway where everyone burns their wisdom booklets. That would be better. Yes. Bill gets escorted out of this facility yes. or conference or whatever it was. And then this is when they say... Okay, well, now the $90 million in assets is up for grabs. Yep. And of course, I mean, humans, someone's coming after that. And they say Jim, Bob, and Michelle are the new bill. Yep. And that's the only other person that's got, I mean, that I'm aware of or that I've seen or heard so far. Like, that's the only other person that's got any sort of public appearance. Like, public image to stage that kind of takeover? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't looked into it. Maybe we should. 
Maybe you can do that research. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, had you heard of anybody else that was like popular within the cult? Like everybody well, knew who Bill was. Bill, Bill, Bill. Like everybody knew who Bill was. Were there other people in the cult that like were popular? Well, they were all like, I don't think any of them were of an age to be his successor. Like all of the creepy old men were dying off too. Like the the people we all knew, like I forget Logan, Dr. Logan or whatever, Pastor Logan, whatever his name was, who, you know, was convinced that there were demons everywhere hmm. and would teach us how to like look down a hallway for demons before we walked down the hallway. Like he's probably dead now. So the names that everyone knew um, weren't of an age to be a successor. And like the other names I knew like Fraley fell out of grace. He might be dead now. Fredrickson, he was at one point, I think, being groomed to be Bill's successor. I don't know if he fell from grace because I haven't talked to them. Like we, we used to have their family over for lunch after um, cult church on Sunday all the time. But uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, and uh, Voller, he ran off with his secretary, so he was, you know, disgraced. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, a lot of the names I grew up with, they're either dead or they, you know, Bill kicked him out for XYZ reason. So we're getting close to the end of the episode, and they end it with... Josh is uh, accused of downloading child pornography. Mm-hmm. Having child porn on his work computer. It is car dealership. Josh just needs to go away. I mean, this is just creepy how similar he is to your brother. Yeah. And again, this is my like malicious versus stupid stance. Like Josh is malicious. And I think people like Josh, like my brother, are a threat to society, Mm -hmm. a threat to children. (laughs) And I'm perfectly comfortable with them being locked away forever so i don't i don't think you can rehabilitate a josh duggar yeah i think he's just corrupt and you just gotta send him to a church camp for a few months so i assume that's what we're gonna lead into on episode four is gonna be the josh duggar yeah i think that's where the documentary picks up i still have a lot of notes okay but i'll run through them quickly because i think we're running out of time So this is earlier in the episode. It talks about how fathers are responsible for their daughter's purity until marriage. And I'm like, yeah, but who the fuck is looking after the sons? (laughs) There was, and I realized in that moment, like there was never anything about the son's purity and no one was ever a steward of the son's purity until marriage, just the daughters. That is interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've got all these girls in the cult. Don't even know what sex is. They don't know what their own anatomy is. Like, they know they have, and one of the ladies said this, like they know they have their virginity inside of them, but they don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. They just know they have it. Mm-hmm. And then their sexual, their sex life is completely managed to controlled and for the most part, public information. <laughs> and brokered by and their brokered, father. Yeah. And so you've got all this control over that and insight and oversight mm-hmm. on that. And then you have the boys that have no oversight. Mm-hmm. Are they abusing that lack of oversight? I think that that answer is probably different for every single person, every single male who grew up in the cult. I'm sure there were plenty of them who, you know, also waited until marriage and stuff like that because, again, you didn't want to go to hell. (laughs) It's interesting. 
to say the least, that that's how that played out. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like there's got to be so much more to that story um, and why it was done that way. No, this is like, <laughs> this is just what women have dealt with since the beginning of time. Like, this isn't specific to the cult. The cult is just another culture in mm-hmm. which female oppression played out. Um. Oh, and then they <laughs> they cut to some scenes of like the children's institute, so the seminar portion for the kids, and the different you know conferences they would hold these at, and the three fingers where you had to smile. If any of the youth leaders held up three fingers, you had to smile, and it was your ministry smile. And like I don't know how many times in my life I was forced to smile because someone held up three fingers at me. And I hadn't thought about that in a long time. So that was a fun little trauma flashback for me. I don't think I caught that. Oh, it was there. Yeah, they mentioned it kind of quickly, but it was there with all of the hand motions that I suddenly remembered for the songs I don't want to think about. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. There are more people I knew. Um, Someone also commented, one of the XIBLP commentators talked about how expensive it all was, Mm -hmm. like how families struggled to attend the seminars and, and buy all the ATI curriculum and just be part of the cult. Like it, it was a drain financially. Uh, the, (laughs) the Duggar world tour, that was really awkward. The street evangelizing that Jim Bob did. The reason I pinged so hard on Jim Bob doing his street evangelizing is like you had to take every opportunity to share the word of God with everyone, like Mm -hmm. the cashier at the grocery store, the person standing next to you on the sidewalk when you're like, you know, watching the fireworks for 4th of July. There, There were people who would literally come home with the count every day where they had to like, they must have evangelized to X number of people that day and that was that they did a lot of training on that in the cult i (laughs) i really um connected with jill when she kind of talked about that aha moment when she realized she could say no (laughs) to -hmm. her parents and to her family and i i kind of remembered the first time in my adulthood where i was like oh my gosh i can say no i can say no i can say no and your brain just kind of explodes and you feel like your world just got a lot bigger, but also a lot scarier. So do you think that only happened because at that point she was married? Yes, I think so. Okay. Do you think that's normal for women to women in the cult cult or to like marry and then get some level of confidence like that where they can, you know, talk back to their dad Yeah. I mean, I couldn't say no to Rick until I was married. And I think I told – did I tell this story in a previous episode? So at my wedding, the father-daughter dance, my ex-husband and I had decided we weren't going to tell anyone where we were going on our honeymoon because both of our families were being like really helicoptery intense, um, not giving us any privacy, like not respecting any of our boundaries. So we were like, we're just going to go on our honeymoon. We didn't want them like showing up at the hotel or something. So um, so we refused to tell them where we were going. And during the father-daughter dance, Rick tried to manipulate me. He was like, Amanda, as your father, 
I need you to tell me where you are going for your honeymoon. I am your father. And I was like, well, you're not my authority anymore. So no. And he looked at me and he looked at me and then he was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You told the story before because I remember thinking, really? That's where they draw the line. Like they were like, oh yeah. I'd been married for like two hours. Yeah. It just, you know. Suddenly I was free. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Only a few more things here. Oh, this a little random, but I talk a lot about the stupid floor length skirts we had to wear. So one of the photos, I think it was journey to the heart, whatever that was journey of the heart, journey to the heart that took place in the Northwoods. And I noticed again and again in photos, like how much time we spent sitting on the floor Like, um, and I'm going somewhere with this, like the children's institute, we were on the floor. Like there were a lot of times when we would do gatherings and stuff, we were on the floor. Um, and then the, the photos of these different conferences and people sitting on the floor. And that was so hard as a person in a skirt, trying to be modest, sitting down, trying to be modest, getting up on the floor. And I suddenly remember just like the panic of like, okay, we're going to be on the floor today. All right, I got to like how many times if you're if you're, you know, at a conference that's going on for hours, how many times are you going to get up and down off the floor in your skirt trying to like keep your ankles crossed the whole time? Like I would practice. I literally practiced at home getting up and down off the ground modestly in skirts. It's just another thing women had to deal with and worry about. Yeah, so this is this is from the scene where the lady was talking about she like if she was down on her knees like cleaning the floor while well, she's been over and it's making oh, yeah. guys think impure she thoughts and she's that. like how do you you can't do anything without it live. being so, uh, an opportunity for the men to have impure thoughts because yeah. like, she's down there like cleaning and she like you oh, know you're gosh. naturally on your knees bent over scrubbing the floor like well, now you're going like to see my butt right. outlined in my skirt. And, and so she was like, there's no, there's no way you can't avoid you can't this. Win. And I, I'm just remembering now, like I have this memory, I guess I kind of try to block. I was a teenager. I was in the kitchen. My, so we had like a dining room table and a kitchen table. And for whatever reason, Rick and my three younger brothers were all sitting at the kitchen table. That was like directly lined up. It was a galley kitchen. So they were watching me do the dishes. And to load the dishwasher, I had to turn toward the kitchen table and face them. And we had really strict requirements for our shirts. Like our shirts had to be right about at our collarbone. They could maybe be one or two finger widths lower than our collarbone. So the shirt I was wearing that day, it met the requirements for not going too low. But it must have been a loose material or something because I realized – I was loading the dishwasher and putting stuff on the bottom rack, so like truly bending over. Mm -hmm. And I look up and I see Rick and my three younger brothers staring at me. And then Rick goes, eyes down, which was the family signal for like, there's something immodest, look away. And I realized that my shirt had gone forward and you had a great view right down it. And they had all been watching me until Rick told my brothers to eyes down. But he didn't say that until after you had like, turned around and looked at them. Yeah. So you, you just couldn't win. Yeah. You couldn't win. And I think, I think in like, okay, so like if you had seen cleavage growing up, like you had a sister and a mom, like if you saw cleavage, was that just like, man, whatevs, and you moved on? I think at all points in time, you're like, oh, 
gross. Like <laughs> I saw mom's boobs or like cleavage or your sister's like, you're just like, it was, but you would want to like, look away, right? Yeah. And okay. you would probably make some like scoff and just like, Oh, like <laughs> gross. Yeah. Okay. I think because sex and, and human anatomy were so repressed in the cult and so taboo, it didn't, it didn't have, like, guys didn't have the mentality you just described. It was, oh, wait, can I see more? Oh, what yeah. can, what can I, how much can I see well, the, of, of this, this is, forbidden thing? Yeah, this is Oh, the, my sister's the only person around where right. I can see that? Yeah. I'm going to look. And, mm. and two, at least two of my brothers were peeping Tom's and spied on me and my sisters. So, like, in addition to the rapist older brother, two of my younger brothers found ways to spy on me and some of my sisters while we were in the bathroom or changing and stuff. And we, we found out about it later, but like, I don't think that that's normal. No, it, it definitely sounds like uh, family trips to the beach were a great time for the boys. <laughs> well, Which we is, had to wear shorts and t-shirts over our I swimsuits, mean, <laughs> but yeah, like you know the, I mean. the girl, the female cousins who showed up in bikinis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if in like normal families or culture, you know, at least in the U.S., like when your sister hits puberty and you're just like, oh, mm -mm." like, (laughs) I don't want to see this. Like (laughs) the game just changed. Like, no. Yeah, that was not my experience. I think it's Emily Elizabeth, the ex-IBLP commentator who shared her story and she was Mm -hmm. the one that wrote her story up on recovering grace and bill called her and berated her and harassed her she talks about how she was 13 and bill was 71 Mm -hmm. when that all started um so that means by the time she like she didn't get to headquarters till she was 18 so obviously that just makes bill five years older so now he's 76 Mm mm-hmm He's 76, harassing and assaulting an 18-year-old. Like, disgusting. Gothard Girls comes up. We have an episode. Episode three of our podcast is all about Bill's sexual assault and harassment. And then Lindsay, she's the commentator with the pink hair. Mm -hmm. She talks about how being asked to work at headquarters was, like, the ultimate – like it was the, the highest mecca. honor. Yeah, it was yeah. the highest honor. It was the mecca of all things IBLP. So you can see why people would want to go there and why they would want to send their kids there, even when their kid is 14, 15, 16, 17, mm-hmm. you know, still a minor, because, oh, this is like the holy place where where God talks to Bill. So I appreciate that she kind of reinforced that mm-hmm. and helped explain to folks outside the cult. I mean, it still doesn't make it right. But that's why people wanted to go there. That's why parents right. wanted to send their kids there. Um, and then just stupid shit Bill says. He, he said um, – it's a clip from one of his seminars. I decided I would never kiss a girl until my wedding night. Okay, Which so never happened. I, I, need to, I need to break down a couple things. First of all, a girl is right. That was definitely his type, not a woman. Um but he kissed at least one of his victims, the minor we talked about. I forgot to mention this in Gothard Girls, the minor he sexually assaulted mm-hmm. in the car. He kissed her like full on the mouth hmm. as part of his assault of her. So he was just, you know, lying Blowing and making shit up. as usual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We talked a bit already about how. 
Bill claimed and everyone believed he got his revelations directly from God. So it was if your parents were fully bought into this concept of God, you know, reveals himself to Bill and that's where Bill gets his teachings, you were you were going to have a hard time convincing your parents that Bill was raping you. And we we got into all of that in Gothard Girls, but I'm really glad they reinforced that concept in the documentary. Um Okay, at 34 minutes and 7 seconds, I am pretty sure it that might be my rapist brother. There's a photo mm-hmm. of a bunch of staffers. I think my rapist brother might be second from the left of the front row. All the faces are blurred. So I have a I have a request if you listen to this podcast at any point, <laughs> um even if it's way in the future from, you know, when we release this episode, if you have or have access to that original photo. Could you please send it to me? Because I would I would like to confirm if that is correct. Andy was part of Bill's inner circle for a while. So it would make sense that he would be in that photo. Okay, so then we get to wisdom booklet number 36 and the law of crying out. Oh, did I forget that? Uh, you did. I missed that. But I, I think we down. should do... I think we should do a whole episode yeah. on it. The law of crying out is that if you were attacked, molested, or raped, and you did not cry out to God for to be saved from the attack or the rape, um, and if you did not cry out for help verbally and loudly, you brought it upon yourself and it was your fault. So saying no was not a no, Did you had to scream criteria. out for help. Or to God. Both. Both. You had to do both. Yes. Okay. So I think... Um, it's a lot to keep in mind when that's happening. Yeah. Like, trauma brain can totally process that in the midst of of freeze, mm-hmm. flight, fight. Yeah, totally. Fawn. It's, it's, that's the first thing that comes to mind mm-hmm. for most people who are being attacked like that. This is dripping in sarcasm. For those of you. <laughs> Just want to be very clear on that. So um, that was, <laughs> uh, that came up a lot in my life with my parents about the sexual assault with my brother. So I think we should have a full episode on that. I have a really great name for it already. So we'll let you know when that is coming. One of the commentators made the statement that abuse shows up in everything IBLP touches. And I, I think Mm-hmm. Like I said before, the commentators really did a fantastic job, particularly in this episode, I believe, just highlighting exactly what needed to be said and reinforcing the right concepts to help people understand what life was like inside the cult and how much abuse there was and the impact of that abuse on how people reacted and responded within the cult environment. So for uh, like from an educational standpoint, Point, from a trauma-informed standpoint, I think they did a really good job explaining the dynamic and how that dynamic impacted victims. So kudos to all of them. And I think that's all I've got. So that wraps up episode three of Shiny Happy People. We'll be back next week for episode four, which the is the final episode in fully. the miniseries. Whew. It sounds like we're going to get it into Josh's scandal, uh, which I know there's a the lot The criminal to it. proceedings with yeah. the child porn. Yeah. So Again, Kyle, why? <laughs> why did you have this idea? 
So watch the next episode of Shiny Happy People. We'll be back next week for our final Shiny Happy People episode in this little mini series. And then we'll continue on with some more IBLP shenanigans. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Cult I Left Behind. Until next time, don't join a cult. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe, and we will catch you on the next episode.